Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're Mumbrella listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Hannah Blackiston. Joining me to break down your week in media and marketing is Tim Burrows. Hello, Hannah. And reporters Brittany Rigby. Hello. And Zoe Wilkinson. Hello. This week we'll be talking about... Meat and Livestock Australia finally delivers its summer campaign. Introducing our new comment policy. O-Media CEO Brendan Cook announces he will be stepping down. And which sport is the winner in the TV ratings model? First up, after a lot of anticipation, Meat and Livestock Australia has finally released its annual lamb ad, landing on the 27th of January. The ad takes aim at screen time and social media use using Lamalytica data hacking to encourage lamb consumers off their phones and out into the real world. It's the latest in a line of campaigns from the monkeys for MLA and uses longtime director Paul Middleditch. MLA have been trying to move away from an Australia Day campaign for years, instead preferring a summer campaign, but this is the first time that the ad has dropped after Australia Day itself. First up, before we get into that part of the conversation, Zoe, what did you think of the Lamalytica ad? I was a little bit confused about the ad. I was a little bit confused by who they were targeting with it. Um, as you described, the ad is about um, encouraging people to get off their phones and into the real world, and those people that the ad does use are young women talking about Instagram at the start of the ad, and I was just curious uh, about whether it is the young people of Australia that the ad is targeting, because I found the tone in that respect to be maybe slightly condescending. I mean, I guess if you try and talk to or at least critique millennials, you're definitely going to piss off some millennials, so maybe that's part of it, but at the same time, I just didn't think it really sort of would connect with that kind of demographic of people. It was also a bit of a departure for MLA really because they've been quite politically focused in the past. Obviously the one that always springs to my mind is the Boat People campaign, but even last year, I think it was last year's ad, they had um, New Zealand and Australia talking about merging their leadership team. So I think it's kind of interesting that this could have been considered a political ad a couple of years ago straight after Cambridge Analytica and Facebook happened. But this year it's kind of just yet another critique of, oh, classic millennials on their phones or, you know, classic consumers on their phones. It's interesting. I was talking to a couple of people about it yesterday and they were saying they're facing a tougher and tougher market because eating red meat has is kind of going out of fashion, obviously not massively, obviously still plenty of people are consuming red meat, but it is getting harder and harder to kind of sell that in a world where we're trying to be a lot more health conscious and a lot more eco-friendly. So I do wonder whether maybe they thought it's too risky to go political when you're already a product that people maybe aren't that keen on. I'd have loved to have seen the brief. I mean, it feels like it's still very much that central idea, the meat that brings people together. So it's the idea of being put down your phones and just talk to each other is a, to me, really nice insight. Um, I think maybe they've painted themselves into a bit of a corner over the years by being so defining of the conversation. You know, I, I kind of, 
I guess in simpler times, Sam Kekovich doing the Australia Day address, being, you know, cheerfully on the edges of politically political incorrectness was, you know, in keeping with Am as the brand then. Um, they have done a pretty good job over the years of, of moving Lamb along, including, as you say, boat people. And that for me, this is their single biggest problem is that was such an amazing ad as you know directed by Paul Miditich as as this one was I can just remember being so excited and just wanting to play it again and again and you know we we me you know we we wrote stories and we didn't did interviews with the director you know it felt like such a big ad and such an important had such a contribution to the culture at the time and that for me is this one you can see that they're trying to comment on culture which is you know that's what advertisers want to do that's what brands want to do they want to be part of the culture and um you know this insight you know i quite like the panel analytica cambridge analytica but two and a bit years on from the scandal little bit old um i still haven't seen a 30 second version of the ad actually mm. when i was looking a couple of days back there, there didn't seem to be one so certainly that that long long version that debuted on facebook ironically felt like an absolute labor of love and if something got it across the line it was that it was beautifully crafted uh but the problem is you compare them to the work they've done before um and you know both people is gonna be hard to top forever it was really beautifully crafted as well like i think that was what struck me first watching the ad when it came out was the production value on it was so high but I did find myself getting bored halfway through because it was just kind of the same thing over and over again. What do we think about? So um, they MLA did an interview with the Sydney Morning Herald where they said the reason for the delay was because of the bushfires, specifically because farmers are having a really tough time of it, especially after the droughts to then be faced by the fires. They're kind of, it wasn't necessarily the best time to drop a lamb campaign. It's kind of interesting though i think that they seemingly just delayed it by let's say based off what they usually release on they delayed it by let's say a week but it also still happened to be the day after australia day so it didn't really feel like that strong a stance it just kind of felt like it was a bit late to the party yeah and i think to the point that you and tim both made about the whole cambridge analytical scandal and when that actually happened I expected when we heard that they were delaying it and when I found out that it had been dropped before I'd seen it the day after Australia Day, I thought, okay, it's it's got to be something timely then for there to be a delay for this valid reason but not too much of a delay, perhaps a commentary on Australia Day given that it's now the day after Australia Day and that's a strategic time to release it. So to then watch it was completely kind of off the mark in terms of what I was expecting just based off of those things and so yeah it was I mean it is I guess coming towards what we know as the end of summer because summer in a compressed way feels like the time between Christmas and kind of when everyone's back at work in a way so if they're branding it as a summer campaign then maybe there's a sort of deadline on that you know February comes and you're kind of like oh it's not really feeling so summer anymore but yeah I'm I'm like Tim I haven't seen the 30 second version if and, there is one actually yeah and that's what I was wondering do we, do we know that Zoe if there are I think there's a I was talking to them on 
the 27th when it dropped and I think there is one but I definitely haven't seen it played anywhere yeah because about about halfway through I thought I I don't see the connection to lamb yet except for the quite good lamalytica pun but it just felt a little bit uh, like a tired stereotype and I get I get uh the idea of meat particularly when meat has a has an image problem at the moment and we know the carbon impact eating meat has and all of those things that going to a barbecue is a screen free time you know that's one of the few occasions where you wouldn't see people on their phones very often but why millennials on their phones in particular when they're probably most likely to be vegan um I'm, I, I wonder whether or not they were trying to win those people back or whether or not it was i, I don't know yeah i i I just was kind of like at the end, it was really well done visually, but in terms of the message, I was kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I think what was interesting to me is, um, so I was at someone else's house when I saw it come through on my phone and I was, so I was obviously looking at my phone and they were like, oh, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, the MLA ad has just dropped. I'm watching an ad about people being on their phones too much. (laughs) And they were like, oh, great. Love those ads. So good. So funny. And they were like, what is it? What is it? And I was like, so I played it for them and they were like, oh, and it just kind of, that's what surprised me the most, I think, is that they have this brand presence. They have this kind of background of doing these really whether you love them or whether you hate them, these really kind of on topic, on brand ads, timely ads. And then I did the same as you, Britt. When we decided that perhaps they were delaying for the bushfires, I was like, this is going to be it. They're going to drop some really political campaign and they didn't want it to land at the wrong time. And then I was speaking to someone about that and they were like, oh yeah, but they would have done the creative for this like ages ago. And I was like, yeah, but... We've seen some other brands turn around really quick responses to the bushfires. We've seen some really impressive stuff from across the board. If they had wanted to, they could have found a way to do it. And I just think all of that combined just kind of made me go a bit, oh, and maybe if they hadn't had the background they had, they didn't have the history they had, this is a perfectly the fine campaign. The expectation wasn't set yeah, at the exactly. same level. Yeah. Um, Tim, I would like to get your thoughts on their I- sort of push to make it a summer campaign as opposed to Australia Day campaign because in the industry at the moment there's a lot of talk about sort of what is Australia's Super Bowl and brands being able to own a particular day or a particular event and MLA has owned Australia Day forever and so I just wanted to get your sort of thoughts on what the push behind a summer campaign would be. It's funny because I know internally, long after they started calling the ads other things, we would talk about when's the MLA Australia Day ad coming out. That was, you know, and the, the idea originally, I think, the, you know, the original insight of owning, let's say summer, but owning Australia Day was the Sam Kekovich Australia Day address. You know, that that was where they came from on it. And I guess they're thinking, there's a day when you want to sell more lamb. It's when people are thinking about what to buy for the barbecue. So that that definitely felt like a part of it. But I, I suppose you have got this much more politicised question now around Australia Day and what it means, you know. So we saw, you know, ABC Hottest 100 obviously 
decoupled, sort of decoupled from Australia Day a couple of years back now, sort of runs it around the same weekend, but not on the same day. So this time it was on the Saturday. So, you know, we, we had our big, really Australia Day barbecue, but on the Saturday with Hoddest 100. So it kind of, it, it, it's going in that direction where, and maybe this is just a one or two year thing and they'll be able to decouple in people's minds that it's the Australia Day campaign and it's the summer campaign like they have the spring campaign. Um, so it might just take a year or two of it not dropping ahead of Australia Day and then it's just here's our summer campaign and people will actually genuinely feel that way about it and accept that's what it is. Or alternatively, maybe if the date does get changed and hopefully when, that's a new opportunity to align yourself with that day Again, and if that's still in summer, then maybe it would still work for them. And maybe it's just this kind of few years of limbo where we've reached a, a point where, you know, a vast majority of people do think that the date should be changed or potentially should be changed. I think the stat I saw was it moved up from 20 to 24%. So there's movement, but I'd argue that as a pragmatic marketer, one probably needs a plan in the meantime until the rest of us yeah comes along yeah i think yeah i think that maybe it is just a limbo until the date gets changed because i think hopefully the pressure will only continue and when it happens then you know brands will be able to realign themselves with it and it won't be as contentious or problematic but I think to your final point on the Super Bowl of advertising, of course, the Super Bowl's coming up, isn't it? Yep, um, it's on Monday. Yeah, I guess arguably we, we've got, we almost have to split it across Australia, don't we? Sort of NRL grand final, AFL grand final. Always feel t- to me the bits that got the most potential to get there, particularly just because of having people in front of the television and, and not quite there yet. But it, it, it feels like if the TV industry can capture advertisers imaginations in some way then that assuming tv is still a thing by then that feels like the opportunity they've kind of started doing it with state of origin remember the last year's state of origin there was quite a few brands who dropped ads specifically for the state of origin yeah true, true so they are kind of pushing that way but as tim said like our sport just don't just doesn't get the viewers that the super bowl does and also as you said people are too split across codes but was it, isn't there supposed to be an AFL state of origin this year? Are they doing one for bushfire relief, I believe? Who knows? Maybe that'll be the time to bust out a big ad campaign. Next up, Mumbrella's new comment policy and the argument against anonymous comments. After months of industry discussion, Mumbrella has announced earlier this week that we will be updating our comment policy. Going forward, we'll be focusing on comments that drive the conversation on the platform rather than just not posting comments that could be considered unnecessary or defamatory. Tim, you set this policy. Do you want to tell us a little bit quickly about how it works and why you've decided this is the right option? It's my favourite topic, myself <laughs> and Mumbrella. Um, yeah, look, at, uh, depending how we think about it, it's either months or possibly even a decade of discussions. That You know, there have always been conversations around comment in, in the trade press, but obviously more widely 
Um, it kind of went back on the agenda back in June last year when John Stedman at the time, the acting boss of WPP, wrote a piece arguing that the problem was anonymous comments uh, rather than necessarily the central question of civility or otherwise, uh, and arguing that all anonymous commentary should be should be banned, and 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 again sort of making the argument that, or seeming to make the assumption that anonymity in itself equaled trolling. Um, so we've had a respectful conversation on the record, off the record. Uh, on stage at various industry events like the Media Federation, in a round table at the Mumbrella Media Retreat in Tasmania last month, um, you name it, in a, in a number of different, uh, different places. Um, so kind of in, in, you know, sort of Vivian Kelly, our editor, welcome back from your holiday, Viv. Um, and I sort of late last year, um, you know, sort of really began to have the conversations and where, where do we go? And it felt like actually the answer isn't anonymous or not anonymous as much as anything because all of the technical solutions people tend to suggest to just make people suggest an email address or whatever are actually almost impossible to verify. So in the end, it came to one about civility. And actually, for me, one of the most influential things actually came at the Roundtable reran, where which was under the Chatham House rules, so I can't say who it was, but you know, a media executive just said, you're overthinking it. It's your site. Only publish the comments that you want or like. Um, and that just really struck a chord. You know, we, we already do that with guest posts. You know, we turn down far more guest posts than we accept. You know, we apply editorial control. So, so in a nutshell, it's, um, rather than feeling like journalists who sort of want free speech for everyone and always feel uncomfortable at censoring things, it just flips it. So rather than saying to ourselves, when we look at a post, has it broken any of the rules? Okay, we'll publish it if it hasn't. It's now, is it good enough to publish? Does it make an intelligent point? Has someone taken the trouble to, you know, spell things correctly and have good grammar and not write everything in caps and actually make a central point? You know, in other words, you know, is it, anything other than a low effort contribution. Um, so that, that, that's where we've evolved to, um, the sort of deadline for, I guess, getting that into the public domain is a decision that ultimately I came to because, you know, it's me who sets the policy. So I have to own, own the policy for better or for worse. So I sort of came to that view really over Christmas or thinking about it. Um, uh, and Vivian and I were in, were invited to participate in the industry round table, which John Stedman, um, very kindly put together, partly at my suggestion. Um, so I wanted to have something out there before then. Um, again, that was under the Chatham House rule. So, but but you know, I think I can say that all of the trade press were represented in one way or another, uh, and all had things to say. Um, there were some areas people agreed with, and others that they didn't. Um, I think most people agreed that there is a need for greater civility. Um, and I think there's a good chance the conversation might carry on some more. Yeah, so obviously you can't give us the specifics on what was discussed at the roundtable, but it's only been a couple of days that we've moved into the new comment policy. Have you had any feedback, whether at that roundtable or from the industry generally, and what's kind of the general vibe? Look, so good so far, and I think that's fair enough because... Right now, what we've got is, you know, the people tend to comment, the ones who've taken the trouble to read 
my two and a half or three thousand words of <laughs> explaining how we got there. Um, the real test for us, though, will come in time when people see the conversations going on on the website. If the conversations change, if the tone changes, or if it becomes a complete wasteland with no comments, then, you know, all of those are possibilities. Um, then that's what will give us the, I think, the real feedback. You know, you know, one, one point I would make is our policy has always evolved, you know start off with we didn't have uh, pre-moderation at all only post-moderation people could literally post what they want and then i would edit it afterwards that evolved after a couple of years so i'm not saying this is the final point and i'm also not saying i'm 100 percent fan of comments they they have their downside as well as their upside next up o media ceo brendan cook announces his exit Thirty years after launching outdoor media business O-Media, CEO and MD Brendan Cook will be stepping down from the role. Cook first launched the business in 1989 and has been in the top role ever since. He will stay in the CEO position until a replacement is found with a global search currently underway and after that he will move on to the board. 30 years is a really long time to spend with one business. Um, in fact, for those playing at home, Brendan Cook started O-Media the year I was born. So 30 years is a very long time to be with one business. Do you feel like that's because your life has been a long time so far? <laughs> Do I feel like Brendan Cook started O-Media to celebrate my birth? Yes. Um, especially, I mean, I know people are usually very attached to things they have founded, as you just made clear, Tim. So I can see wanting to stick with it, but... It's also interesting that he's chosen this time to leave. O-Media last year upgraded its earnings forecast after they were forced to downgrade, but they did then upgrade them again. Obviously, the media is in a really tough place, but for all intents and purposes, O-Media seems to be doing okay. Is it just a good time for an exit or is there something else at play here? I think he's done that very rare thing for a CEO. And actually picked a good moment to go um, close to the top. As you say, there was the profit downgrade and then quite quickly a profit upgrade as the, mar- the, the market kind of improved. And they, they kind of stated in the announcement this week that they're, they still expect to come within guidance, admittedly at the lower end of it. Um, so I think the, the, I think the share price dropped about 6% or something on the announcement. I think mostly on Brendan going, but probably slightly on the fact that it's towards the lower end of guidance as well but you know he created a really big organization (laughs) helped float it twice because of course it went on to the asx then came off got bought by private equity and came back on again um strikes me you know that float was a number of years ago this is probably about the first point where he actually could have gone and everyone would have been that wasn't that long after the float. Why are you, you know, taking, you know, packing up and leaving so soon? So he, he got beyond that point. Um, lots of credit for turning it into a digital company. They were, they were at the forefront of digital billboards and they timed the float perfectly. So it came around the year they got all of the growth out of digital, which, which, which benefited, you know, most of the sector. Ultimately, I do think it's still an outdoor company though. You know, they, they sent some signals. They're trying to be other things. Junkie media, obviously, you know, youth focused publishing in the main. Honestly, never fully made sense to me. I 
think people never actually questioned it that much because they like the people at Junkie so much. <laughs> um, so they almost got a pass on it, you know, because they, hey, it's a good operation. So even it doesn't seem to make complete strategic sense from the outside. Um, good on you for getting it, you know, and everyone was happy for the people involved. But, um, you know, you sort of, you look at similarly, you know, you kind of have pedestrians sitting at nine off to one side or, you know, the, the whole, uh, acquisition of, um, uh, that H, T and E here, there and everywhere did of, of, you know, you know, that sort of, uh, the, um, it was lost E minor and Techly and, um, oh, the sports one, the raw, yeah, yeah. which it looks like they, basically flushed most of the money down the toilet that they spent on that and the esports league that also didn't survive very well yes well that that was more was that they sort of started that didn't they i think but yeah i understand it rightly but yeah but anyway I, I, i digress slightly um but yeah um hey look you know it's not that often that you can point at someone who's leaving and say 100 percent they're the reason why this business is left in a better place than when they joined it or when they started it. I think we were having a similar conversation towards the end of last year about Hugh Marks at nine. <laughs> That's right? what I was going to bring up. Yeah, because when James Warburton came in and it was kind of approaching upfront season, I think Tim, you you said quite bluntly, like, is Hugh Marks going to leave? Like, is this his time to leave? Go at the top, pick um, your moment. I have so... asked you several times this question <laughs> as well, and each time he just laughs and then says classic Mumbrella. So. I still say it'll be after they move into the new premises in North Sydney and get that done. So I think off the back of a hard year when ad spend is consecutively declining month after month still, out of home has been kind of the one small bright spot. O Media, big part of that. So while someone leaving with no kind of apparent reason to leave is kind of always a bit of a shock and you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Maybe that's kind of nice as well. Like there's no one thinking he should really go. It doesn't <laughs> feel like he's been tapped on the shoulder. Yeah, it no. feels like he's going to stick around. It's also that classic thing. You, you, it genuinely just passes the sniff test that he had a bit of a long think over Christmas, came back and said, I've decided I'm going to stick around for as long as it takes to find my successor. Um, and then move on to the board as well. And he has said the release, which went up on the ASX, um, he was the quotes in it all to me definitely passed that test. They all seemed like this is just the time. We're going to make sure it's a smooth transition. Everything's going to be cool. I have since then reached out to Brendan and invited him onto the Mumbrella cast and he has promised he will. So hopefully we'll be able to ask him himself about it. But yeah, I think you're right. I think he's also kind of in a position now where he's been with the business for 30 years. He could definitely leave this now, stay on the board, take up a couple of other board opportunities, you know, stay active in the industry while not being a CEO. And that would just be a really successful career. And also like 30 years, a new decade, like psychologically, I could imagine him just being like, yep, this is this is a good time. New year, new me. <laughs> Made it into another decade, yeah. so. Yeah. Next up, who's winning in the summer TV ratings? Mm. 
with the Australian Open wrapping up on February the 2nd and the Big Bash League final the week after, the summer head-to-head of sport is winding to a close. Married at first sight, last year's ratings juggernaut will return on February the 3rd. And if 2020 plays out like 2019, it's likely to bulldoze anything in its sights. This summer marked the second year of tennis coverage for nine and cricket for seven, and there have been some standout nights, including two Kyrgios games which pushed over one million and close to two million, and Nadal's shock exit from the tournament which topped one million, with Australian Ash Barty still in the comp and a match between Federer and Djokovic on the slate, there is likely to be a couple more big days to come. On the other side, Seven's Big Bash League coverage hasn't fared as well, with numbers dropping on 2019 and more games not necessarily meaning more viewers. The season has also struggled with tough weather conditions and a push for regional attendance, which has seen some of the games played in much smaller stadiums. It's a very hard comparison to make because the Australian Open runs for a way shorter time than the BBL. The BBL runs for a massive season at this point. And Seven also had the Test Cricket games over summer as well. But especially towards the end of the season, I particularly expected the cricket to be performing a bit better. But we just kind of haven't seen the ratings that I thought it might get. Yeah, look, it's it's luck comes into it, I suppose. Um, I'm come on to tennis in a moment, but certainly for the cricket, not, you know, not the most exciting teams. New Zealand, it was just really disappointingly non-competitive. Um, so, so that's probably a factor. Um, as well as seven, I think Foxtel will be really disappointed with their numbers as well. So, you know, that there are so many different ways of comparing these things, but if we just look at the, you know, the, the evening matches, then sevens cricket is metro audiences down nearly 5% on last year. But, you know, Foxtel's sort of night match is down more than 7%. And the kind of the regular season matches are more than 10%. And that's them spending more money on it as well. So it just feels like no one was talking about the cricket this year. You know, I quite like Big Bash, but it just felt like any night there was a Big Bash game on. And there were there were too many. So there was nothing to get excited about. Um, it wasn't even just one game. Some nights there were two games. They would play a game and then they would play a Perth game so they could get two in for one night. And I was talking to someone about this recently. It's the ninth year the Big Bash has happened. And it was kind of pitched as being like a family-friendly cricket option. Obviously, I'm definitely not the world's biggest cricket lover, but even I can sit through a Big Bash game. But there is a very specific number of teams. And at this point, when this season we've added more games to the lineup, it just feels like you're watching the same team after the same team after the same team. And I think they've rigged it this year as well so that... Hang on, let's be careful on that word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think they've set it up... Is there a lawyer in the room? Brittany? <laughs> <laughs> no. <Nah. laughs> I think they've set it up this year so that the teams get more time in one chunk on their home ground. So the Sixers will play consistently on their home ground and then go around. And that to me seems to make it feel like every time you turn on the TV, it's the same teams playing. And I think if they want this sport to continue, and obviously this is more than just Seven and Foxtel's problem, it's obviously Cricket Australia's problem. I think if they want this sport to continue, they need to start encouraging more teams. You need to start switching it up a bit because at this point in the season, it feels like I've seen all the cricket there is to see and I don't want to watch it anymore. It's a sliding doors moment, isn't it? Imagine if they'd gone the other, Cricket Australia had gone the other way, stuck with 10, who built the franchise, a big bash, 
credit to 10 and everyone thought it was mad at the time by the way including me um but they 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 created something which wasn't there before and then the idea was that nine would have the uh, test matches um i'd love to know how that would have delivered audiences for cricket australia now clearly financially this was the deal they chose to take but i wonder if in the long term it's going to prove to be the best interest of 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 the cricket um as a sport yeah, I think what you were saying about luck definitely plays into it as well. I know there was a couple of weeks in the middle there where a lot of the cricket games were getting rained out, which obviously doesn't make for great viewing. Um, and also the tennis this year has been really exciting. There's been some really great matches and some really great lineups. Obviously, Nadal and Kyrgios got their grudge match, which was when it pushed really close to 2 million viewers. So, I think... Yeah, it's it's a tough comparison to make because there are so many different factors. And again, you know, it's competitive as well. You know, there's 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 tennis on at the same time sometimes. And who would have known that Kyrgios would come through in the way he had this year, suddenly become slightly more likable, a lot more interested in winning and so and playing in such competitive games. I will not have those views voiced on the Mumbrella cast. I also think that it's a tough comparison to make just because if you're watching the Big Bash, you like cricket to some extent. If you're watching the tennis, you could not follow the tennis for the rest of the year and still watch the Australian Open or at least still watch those key matches because you've got the international talent, you've got the drama, it's it's exciting. And, you know, cricket versus tennis, cricket is by nature a slower game. It drags out even slower when you've got, you know, rain delays and are you going to keep the TV on while the rain delays are are happening and you don't know if it's going to be cancelled or not? Probably not. Uh, The rain's been great in terms of, you know, bushfires and droughts and needing it. But Hannah, I know you've been to a bunch of big bash games in person and everyone's been rained out. I went to one, it was rained out. So not, not, I did not leave that thinking I'm going to go home and watch more on TV, but as someone who doesn't watch tennis the rest of the year, I've had the Australian Open on in the background every night simply because I know the players, you know, that they're, they're they're celebrities. They're not just sports players. And, you know, it's, it's interesting and dramatic and you've got personalities like Kyrgios on show. And I think that they're just, the cricket is up against it. it. That's a very tough comparison. And it's very tough to get people in who aren't already cricket fans. Yeah. So this coming Sunday night, men's final of the Australian Open, first night of my kitchen rules on seven. Is that brave or suicidal by seven? I really, I'm just, I know the calls I'm going to get for this. I think it's suicidal. I don't think they've got a chance because not that I don't think MKR is successful because I do. And I do think they've made a good step in the right direction to shake up what was becoming a slightly tired format. It's been a really good ratings winner in the past for seven, but I just think given, and they weren't to know this, but given the season we've seen in the tennis and given how good it's been so far, I think there's only going to be one place people are watching on that. And then night. of course, Monday, so, something I vaguely picked up from watching the tennis, apparently married at first sight <laughs> was coming back. 
Have you seen that there's tweets out there that are like, how great are these like tennis ads inside Married at First Sight? Um, yeah. Well, actually, before we get into Married at First Sight, something that we haven't touched on yet, I'm a Celebrity from 10 has also been running. That's obviously their yes. version of summer sport. And that finale is on Sunday as well, isn't it? It is. Um, and before the Australian Open came in, I'm a Celeb was doing really well. It was beating the BBL every time they went up. There was a very amusing Twitter war that broke out between Seven's comms Twitter. Oh, no, it was Seven's main Twitter and Ten's comms Twitter where Seven tweeted a BBL doing great in the ratings and the Ten comms Twitter was like, oh, no, actually, I think you'll find that I'm a Celeb did better that night. Um, so they're obviously coming very close to each other. Yes, to talk inside baseball, Seven's absence of a top corporate spinner does seem to have led to the TV network squabbling amongst them. There was quite a, uh, depending if not nice or disappointing is depending on how you think about it, but there was something of a truce between the networks on slagging each other off for a couple of years when all of the spinners got on. The fact that Seven haven't got one has created a bit of a vacuum, hasn't it? And they've gone back to squabbling again. Yes, there has been a lot of squabbling over the last couple of months, but I believe the ad for Seven's top job has come down, so perhaps they've found somebody. So when that's announced, we'll see if the squabbling continues. Um, I'm a celeb now, as you said, wrapping, uh, heading towards the finale, so we're seeing an elimination, it feels like, every night. Maybe it isn't every night, but it feels like it. The ratings definitely there took it. Is. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Resident I'm a celeb lover, Brittany. For this season only. I don't know why, but I've gotten really into it. Never watched it before. This season, I'm a fan. It's Chloe. We all know that you love her. Like Charlotte? Charlotte. Bugger. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe. <laughs> yeah, no. Look, Charlotte Crosby drew me and Miguel has, you know. Miguel came, kept you there. <laughs> went for Charlotte, stayed for Miguel. <laughs> I think um, it was quite obvious though that the I'm a celeb ratings took a hit when the AO started I think um it had been doing really well and quite often sitting right at the top there with the news of every single night um the AO quite often now tops it but good year for 10 I reckon again though I think that it's it's going to be tough when you're a reality show or a show of that format to go up against sport because there's no way that you're watching sport on catch-up you're watching it live or you're watching the highlights or you're following it on Twitter, the next day it's old. I've only watched I'm a Celebrity on Catch Up. And will you now watch Survivor, which also launches on Monday? Oh, yes, it does. (laughs) So excited. (laughs) So I've got a funny feeling we're going to have a sense by midweek next week of what sort of years the network's going to have. Because if Survivor does really well, particularly if it eclipses MKR, then all of the momentum seems to have gone away from Seven. You know, a month out from Christmas, it felt like James Warden's here. He's done this amazing deal to sell Pat Mag straight away. He's done this amazing deal to buy Prime. Sorry, merge into Prime. Um, And, you know, he's made some programming choices. Now, well, we see the test in the programming. Pacific Mag's sale deal has fallen over. The Prime deal's fallen over. Have you seen the share price for Seven? It's the lowest in its history. Um, wow, they've got a bit of a mountain to climb, haven't they? I don't know if you've heard, though, but they do have the Tokyo Olympics this year. Do you know, I had heard mention of that. Now you come to mention it. Yeah, they've got quite the mountain to climb, but I do think probably everyone sitting in Seven right now is just like, Olympics, the Olympics are coming. 
Um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. I don't think – I personally don't think anything's going to hold up against Married at First Sight. I think after the insane success last year and they're just cashing straight in on that again, they've got people coming back, they've got, you know, everything ready to go. So I don't think anything's going to be able to challenge it, but I think you're right. I think next week will be really interesting. And that's it from us. But before we go, I just wanted to give a quick mention to our upcoming Travel Marketing Summit in March. The early bird deadline is looming with all tickets purchased before next Thursday, that's February the 6th, to be discounted by $150. So if you're a marketer in the travel and tourism space, be sure to check out Mumbrella's Travel Marketing Summit for leading insights from the industry's brightest minds. Just a few of the big names on the bill include Hawaiian Airlines, Google Australia, South Australian Tourism Commission, Storiation, and Tourism NT. Don't miss it. Go to mumbrella.com.au slash travel for more information. And that's it from us for the week. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Hannah. Bye. Bye.